Join me in Mark 10 this evening, Mark chapter number 10. Pray, um, uh, we've got about three more messages in this series. I, I didn't even intend to preach a series. I think six weeks ago, um, I just preached a message, and while I was preaching it, I realized that the Lord wanted it to be a mini-series. And so we're doing it on uh, Sundays, we're doing it on Wednesdays, and the series is called How God Works With You. You can tell I didn't plan it because it's a terrible title for a sermon series, but that's exactly what we've been talking about and so many of these different things. And I think this is message number seven or eight, but I'm starting to really feel the pull of the Holy Spirit to, um, to take us on a journey through the life of Elisha in the Old Testament, the one who had the double portion. And if you will, I'm asking you, I'm not making an announcement, I'm asking you to pray because I'm not absolutely convinced that's what we're supposed to do, but I'm really feeling drawn to that in my personal life, and I think I'd like to do it, but I also want to make sure of the timing of it. So we've got a lot going on. Summer's winding up. The school year's about to get kicked off. College football will be starting soon, so uh, get, get ready to argue in the lobby, but don't bring it in here. And um, you tech fans, we're giving extra grace this year to you. And, uh, all right, I better leave that alone. Y'all are, aren't in a laughing mood tonight. Okay, let me, let me just get into the Word of God this evening. Y'all are looking at me with daggers, some of you. I want to talk to you about harnessing your desperation tonight. The, um, the reality is, is that some of the most necessary elements of the Christian life can only be accessed through seasons of desperation. There's some treasures in the kingdom that if you're going to get them, you got to get low. And you literally at times have to feel, you feel like you're having to crawl through seasons of life. And as you do, the lower you get, the closer you are to some of the most precious treasures in the kingdom. The, the difficulty is that we're living in a culture and even a church culture in America where desperation is not appealing to most people because we've been raised as Westerners and we're supposed to be independent and we're supposed to be self-sufficient, we're supposed to be strong, and the last thing we want to do is have anything that smacks of desperation in our life. But you cannot become, you cannot be a student of the Scripture and legitimately miss the recurring theme that God does some incredible things in the lives of people who are upwardly desperate. And so I want to talk to you about that tonight, and I want to go to a very familiar setting. Uh, you'll recognize the name more than likely when we begin to read, um, but I don't want it to be so familiar that it lacks um, a, a pull and a tug on us tonight. So look when we Mark 10. I'm going to begin in verse number 46, and I want to, again, talk to you about harnessing your desperation. The Bible says in Mark 10, 46, that they came to Jericho, and as he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up, and he came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. 
And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. It's been a really long time since I talked to anybody about Bartimaeus. But there's so much that we can learn from his life, and it's not only identifying with um, Bartimaeus and his plight and his struggle and his desperation, his powerlessness, the darkness he was living in. We can easily touch on seasons in our Christian journey where we felt darkened in some sense or powerless in some sense or forgotten and sidelined like he was. But there's also some things to learn, pardon, with the interaction that Bartimaeus has with two distinct groups. One is a group of one. It is Jesus and how Jesus interacts with him because we want to be like Jesus and you've got some Bartimaeuses in your life. And the second group is this crowd and how they dealt with Jesus. And we're going to see those two realities juxtaposed with each other. And we're going to recognize that not only do we need mercy, we need to be dispensers of mercy in a very wounded and bruised generation. And so let's go back to the text and stay locked in with me because I believe as we move into this, we're going to uh, really sense the, just the tenderness of God. But that tenderness is not just simply softness. It is also strength. So let's begin when desperation is met with delay. Let's even personalize it. When your desperation is met with his delay, and so let's, let's look at what I'm talking about here, and let's take this picture and this scene of this blind man sitting by the roadside, and we're going to recognize three things that get in the way and have been getting in the way between Bartimaeus and his breakthrough from God. And so the first one we see very simply here is commotion gets in the way. What's the scene? They're coming to Jericho, the Bible says. Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and notice those other words, and a great crowd. So it, it, he's moving up towards Jerusalem at Passover, and the road is thronged. There are large crowds passing through, many people heading up to Jerusalem. Well, you may not know this, but this is the last healing miracle that we're about to see that, has, that takes place in the book of Mark. It's the last one that Mark records before Jesus goes to the cross. And the other interesting note is it's the only time in the book of Mark where the person gets healed is actually named. So this is a significant moment here. And Jesus has left the rich young ruler who thought he could see and was blind. And now he's finding a blind man that wants to see. And so he's coming up, but there's Bartimaeus. He is sitting by the roadside, and that's typically where blind people would sit in that day. They'd be by the roadside as close to the crowd as they could. They're simply seeking to get by day after day, and that's where he finds himself. Now, he can't see anything, but he can sense something. He sense a, a raising of the volume. He senses the ambient noise of feet shuffling through the dirt. He hears the conversations. He senses the energy in the crowd because it's not one or two or even the 12 disciples with Jesus. It's Jesus, his 12 12 disciples and a large crowd that is coming forth. And the Bible indicates in the Greek there when it's talking about the large crowd, it is not simply, you know, a handful of people. It's a throng. And so all of this commotion. And for a guy who needs a, a solitary audience with Jesus and he becomes aware somehow that Jesus is leading this procession, he needs one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. But now he's got all of this commotion. 
He's got the festival spirit because although Bartimaeus was in a bad place in life, it's Passover time. They're moving towards festival season and they're getting ready to come up to Jerusalem. And so there would have been a lot of energy. And Bartimaeus is sensing he's there in the crowd. I can't see him. How will I ever get an audience with him? Commotion, activity, the hustle and bustle, the the distractions, all the things that sometimes get in the way when we need our breakthrough, when we need an encounter with the Lord, when we need a touch from the Son of God, when we need something that we don't have inward resources for and we know we need to connect with the Lord in a very significant way. All of that's going on with Bartimaeus, but there's a lot of stuff between him and the Lord. His limitation is getting in the way too. That's the second thought there in verse 46. Just remember very simply, no need to belabor this. He's a blind beggar. Uh, The Aramaic of the word Timaeus, his dad, Bartimaeus means bar, son of Timaeus. So he's the son of Timaeus. And Timaeus in the Aramaic indicates unclean indicates unclean. And so even his name reflects that just there's a a bad history there. And there he is, a blind beggar. Now, I want you to remember something with me. We live in an industrialized, sophisticated society. And you can have a very normal life in our society and in this generation with a multitude of disabilities, including blindness. Uh, I have a friend who was pastor for years up in Ohio. And out of nowhere, three years ago, he lost his eyesight completely are almost completely over about a three-month to six-month period. And now he's blind, and yet he didn't quit. He didn't give up. He hasn't fallen to pieces. He's now shifting gears in ministry, but he's leading a life that is still full of joy and power. Now, in Bartimaeus's day, it wasn't like that. They didn't have social programs. They didn't have industry. They didn't have technology. They didn't have advanced medicine. Basically, when you're living with a disability in Bartimaeus' day, the only thing you can do is beg. And where is he doing it? The Bible says that they're right there at Jericho. Now, you may not know this about Bible geography, but Jericho at that time would have been the lowest city on planet Earth. The Dead Sea is right nearby, just a few miles away, and that's the lowest place on the planet. And Jericho is right there, just right off the, I believe, a little southwest of one of the shores of the the, the Dead Sea, and and it's the lowest town on earth. And so what do we have here? We've got one of the lowest men, if not the lowest man, a blind beggar. It didn't get much lower than that in that day. So you got the lowest man at the lowest point on earth. And it just speaks, the whole thing speaks of his limitations. It speaks of all of that getting in the way. So it's outside of him feels like it's getting in the way. Inside of him, it feels like it's getting in the way. And now, then this, surviving gets in the way. Now watch this, it just simply says, he was sitting by the roadside. What is that? It's a picture of his life. He's not looking to get ahead He's not looking to, in the sense of life changing on its own, his life is defined so much like others in the Scripture that were reduced to begging and sitting. That's his life. And so he's just surviving. And that speaks to me of that other issue in your life and mine in desperation. When you need a breakthrough, you need a fresh touch from God. You need to be able to have your eyes opened, your ears opened, your heart strangely warmed. You need to be set free. You need to overcome. And we've got this issue of daily survival impeding the necessity of desperation. Let me tell you one thing. Surviving's good. The alternative is not so good. We have to survive. But when you enter into a prolonged season of life where everything is just about getting by, 
everything is just about holding your breath until the sun sets, getting up the next day and doing the same thing. What happens is you're so focused on getting by that you can even lose your desire to overcome. You just want to survive. And I would submit to you that by the time Bartimaeus has gotten to this point, he's probably long lived in the zone where he's not even necessarily hungering after breakthrough. He just needs to make it through another day. And so it doesn't paint a very happy picture. I mean, if you came in feeling bad about yourself tonight and what you're going through, maybe this is encouraging you because I don't think you're as badly uh, doing as badly as Bartimaeus. But at times, I know that you and I have been in seasons of life where some of these very things I'm describing, you can say, Jeff, I have been there. I've been there when I haven't had any hope of getting overcoming. I've been there when I'm stuck on the wayside. I've been there when I can't seem to get through to the Lord. I've been there when I've been drowned out by all that's happening around me. I've been there when I wake up every day and I'm aware of what's wrong with me or my limitations or how impossible my situation is. Well, that's Bartimaeus' life, and that's the only reason I'm highlighting it tonight. Not because I really want you to know more about Bartimaeus, but because I want to connect with that reality that comes and goes in our own lives. And I would just simply say this, you're not the first one and you won't be the last that's experienced it. But the story does get better, okay? I didn't, I didn't ask you to come out tonight so I could depress you. Let's go further into the text. And we're going to see that desperation, after it's met with delay, watch what happens here. Desperation is answered with direction. He is in a season of desperation, but being desperate and not giving release to it does you no good. Desperation unexpressed becomes depression. You have to give expression, and it actually it is actually significant what direction you go with it. Now, now just watch here for a second. There's a clear plea, verse 47. When Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, as the Greek reads there, Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm not going to scream it like I want to, but I want you to know it it wasn't a whisper. It it wasn't a polite request. He's in a crowd. He's lower than everybody because he's down there at about knee level, and he knows he's got one shot. And the closer that he senses, he doesn't know if Jesus is right in front of him, is not quite shown up yet, or has already passed him by, but he knows he's in there somewhere. And so he knows also, there's his hope. Somehow Bartimaeus knows the identity of this one named Jesus. By this point, Jesus had healed many people. And it is highly likely that the testimony of those healings had been attached to the name of Jesus the Nazarene. And Bartimaeus now knows he's passing through. And he knows he healed others. I wonder if he'll do it for me. And so as we're reading this verse in verse number 47, even the verb tense in the Greek language, if you're new to your Bible, when we're reading it in English, I read out of the English Standard Version, it's all translated from Koine Greek here. And the Greek verb tense indicates that he is saying this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, 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 son of David, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. He is just not stopping. It wasn't a whisper. It wasn't polite. He, he, was, he did not care who was offended. He wasn't interested in maintaining proper decorum. He, he, he didn't want to just wait his turn. His turn was passing him by, and he knew he'd probably never get another shot. By the way, if he hadn't called out them, he would never get another shot. Jesus never came back that way. 
And so his desperation had been cultivated and now it was being released in the form of this very clear plea. Note the words, have mercy on me. It is a unqualified, unspecified pouring out of his need. It's not a complaint. It is a petition. It is a declaration of desperation. Why would he do that? Let me tell you something about mercy because I do believe that that is the word, that is the request. Out of all the things he said, he said, Jesus, that is Jesus's earthly title. That's his human name. He said, son of David, that's his messianic title. That, that was something that really uh, Jesus had not allowed a lot of people to um, attach to him publicly. He had even told others, don't, don't tell anybody that I am the Christ at that point. He wasn't interested in becoming a political Messiah. But Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, this nobody, this lowest man at the lowest city on earth is crying out with these messianic titles, but I don't even think that's what got Jesus' attention. I think it was the irresistible cry of one who says, have mercy on me. There are some prayers that God won't ever ignore. I have asked for so many things from the Lord, and I'm going to tell you, he's my father, and he loves me, and he's great, and he's glorious, but I know he has shot-blocked some of my prayers. He just said, boom, no, no, I'm not going to honor that, boom. It's not because he's mean or bad, it's because it was prayers that weren't within his will. But I can tell you, he will never shot-block a desperate plea for mercy. It's always a prayer that he finds irresistible. And I don't mean that to say that anything overpowers our omnipotent God. What I'm saying is his heart is so benevolent. It's so good. It is so conditioned in towards mercy that when he hears that cry, we're going to see what he does here. Why is it so? Friends, it's the broken who cry for mercy. It's the weak who cry for mercy. It's the frightened who cry for mercy. It's the lonely who cry for mercy. It's the helpless who cry for mercy. It's the hopeless who cry for mercy. And ultimately, in this passage, it is the desperate one who cried out for mercy. When you get to that point where from your gut, from your soul, bringing everything out of your spirit and your plea cannot be defined any more explicitly than I need your mercy. You found desperation and you are well on your way to breakthrough. My friends, he cannot resist it. Now, can I be, well, I'm going to be, so I won't even ask. That's not fair to you, but I, I want to be very clear here. We don't like having to ask for mercy. We would prefer to retain a little bit of control and just request God to tweak some things in our life. Lord, could you bring, oh, in the name of Jesus, some slight improvement, some immediate relief, some more easy circumstances? Could you just, could you alleviate some of these pressures? And we will do anything to have to be reduced to the place where we're weak, broken, helpless, hopeless, isolated, and desperate. But when, not if, we reach that place, it will be seamless. It will come out of us naturally. No other word will do. We'll say, God, I need your mercy. It's the cry of somebody who is in a pain, that he or she can no longer bear. And there's something in the infinite father heart of God that just says, I'm pressing in to that person. 
I, I don't know where you are on the spectrum. I'm, I'm a firm believer that we go through cycles as, as followers of Jesus. I think that, it, I really hope that some of you tonight are just not in a season where everything's heavy and everything's troubling and everything's dark and everything's confusing. I, I, I hope that nobody's like that, but chances are, even in a crowd this size, that, that some of you are there. Others of you are on the mountain, but you, can, you could raise your hand and say, Jeff, today things are great, but let me tell you about last year. Let me tell you about a season five years ago. Let me tell you when I was the broken one, when I was the helpless one, when I was the hopeless one, when nobody could reach me, nobody could fix it, nobody could solve it, and my desperate cry in that season was, God, have mercy on me. And now where are you? Well, you're not in that season anymore because something shifted. He moves when we reach that place of desperation. And so as he's doing this, everything's looking great, right? Okay, Jesus is nearby. Jesus is the divine son of God. As the father is, so is the son. So as the father moves, and we see it all throughout the Old Testament, as the father moves in mercy, we can expect the son to move in mercy. Bartimaeus is crying out for mercy. He's screaming it over and over again. Looks like breakthrough's gonna happen, but not yet. Why? Well, because some people in the church were there. Right? Look in verse number 48. His clear plea became a challenged plea. Here he is in his breakthrough moment, and look at, look, at the, look at the church folk. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. You see, friends, we're not real comfortable with desperate people. I'm just going to put myself in that crowd. I'm, I'm not being hypercritical, but I am being ruthlessly honest right now. That desperate people, we don't know what to do with them. You've got Bart, they're all going up to celebrate. They're going up in Jewish festival season. They're going up to a place that's going to be great. The Passover lamb's going to be slain. It's going to be sacrifices. It's going to be just, it's, it's an awesome time to be a Hebrew in the season. And then you've got the buzzkill named Bartimaeus sitting there on the side of the road, screaming over and over and over, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And the people are saying, will you shut up? I know that's impolite, but that's basically what they're rebuking him. I mean, they, they despise his station in life. Who is this beggar rune in the party? Who is this guy? They, they, there was not any dignity afforded the disabled in that day. And so he is kind of ruining the mood. He's screaming at the top of his lungs. It's not like a musical. We say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Edit that out, please, when that goes on TV. But <laughs> the point being is it wasn't serene, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't melodious. It was gut-wrenching. And it was over and over and over again. And so the people are coming through, and one after another, the, I think it says many rebuked him, does it not? I don't know if it says many or not. Yeah, many rebuked him, and they're telling him, stop it. Let me tell you why. And this is where I want us to learn from them so that we don't ever become like them. They're looking at a man in his most desperate hour and they're completely detached emotionally. There is no, there's no compassion from them. There's no expectation. There's no help. I mean, you, you, you would think there would be one compassionate person in the crowd that would lend, lend this man a hand and try to usher him into the presence of Jesus, but there's nobody, no man cared for his soul. And so he, he's just, and they're just telling him to be quiet. Let me tell you why. They heard the voice of his complaint, but Jesus 
we're going to find out, heard the need in his heart. All they heard was words. Jesus heard the rhythm of this man's heart. He heard the tenor of the heart, the pain in his heart, the desperation in his heart. And friends, I, I, I'm, this is where I'm convicted in this passage. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm saying on just for my own soul, my own life, my own walk, but I'm also saying it for this assembly, but also the church at large. I'm, I'm saying, how in tune are we with the pleas and the cries and the desperate outpouring and calling of those around us? Do you know that the, that the person who is screaming at you in life is actually screaming for Jesus? They just don't know it. The, the, the one that's upset with you, the one that's most ruthless with you, the one that drives you up the proverbial wall, the one that, that causes verbal harm to you or has harmed you in some way, the one that when they're coming one way, you want to go the other way because of what, what's going on inside of them. And, and we don't often interpret their, 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 the pain they give. They're just producing what's in their life. And so we would rather silence them than to humble ourselves and be one that can help bring them into the presence of the one that can remedy their heart. And so when I look at this, I'm thinking they are more interested and they actually think that Jesus doesn't want to be bothered with this kind of stuff. Don't miss that. They're probably saying, remember, I mean, this is not the first time that's happened. Remember, trouble not the master. Don't trouble the master and everything. And remember, you know, people are bringing little kids to Jesus and the 12 henchmen, also known as the 12 disciples, are kicking the kids out. Don't bring the kids up here. This is Jesus. And Jesus says, let the kids come to me. But there, there's, some, there's a disconnect often in those that are in proximity to Jesus. They don't have his heart. They're, they're close in proximity, but they're not close in heart. And so when, when this is happening, the people that are walking with Jesus are telling the one who needs Jesus the most to shut up. And I don't want to be like that. And you don't want to be like that. But do you know it's really hard in the moment to recognize when they're messy and they're loud and, and they're, they're ruining the moment whether it's in a church setting or whether it's in your family or it's at work or wherever it is, it's, 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 it takes intentionality on our part to, to listen to not only the voice of the complaint, but the need in the heart. And most of the time, some of the most obnoxious people in our lives are actually the most hurting people in our lives. But all we're doing is diagnosing what we're seeing on the surface. And so I, I, I've just kind of rolled that around in my mind today and just pray for myself very simply. I'm going to move on. Just pray, Father, who am I missing? Who's the person or people in my life right now or those that come in and out of my life and they get something other than compassion from me because I'm failing to diagnose that this person is actually hurting so go a little further because, hallelujah, Bartimaeus is just tenacious. He's desperate. When a person gets that point of desperation, they're not really interested in um, obeying everybody else's rules. They just need breakthrough. And so it became a continuing plea. He cried out all the more, the scripture says. He cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And so he kept crying it, kept crying it. They, they tried to mute him. You know, they got the remote, they're hitting mute button, nothing's working with Bartimaeus. And so he just turns it up a notch. 
and it's loud and it's clamorous and, and they're telling him to shut up and he's like, I'm not, I don't even hear you. I'm, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to him. I wonder how many people in our community say that. I'm not talking to you, church. I'm trying to find him. I, I hear what you're saying. I see what you're doing. You don't speak my language, so I'm not even talking to you. I'm trying to get to the one you say you're walking with. Aren't we getting convicted on this? I think it's a good opportunity for us to get convicted on this. And they, they don't know what we know. Now, eventually, they're going to get saved, and they're going to love the church, and they're going to help change the church for the, for the glory of God. But at this point, you, you've, you've almost got this contest. Now, watch what happens. This is just, it's almost funny. The continuing plea becomes a captivating plea. I love verse 49. This is amazing. And Jesus, the Greek says, Jesus stood still. It's, it's a little more intense than the ESV. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Look at that shift. They're oily. I mean, that is just amazing to me. When Jesus begins to express value for him, the others with Jesus begin to express value to him. And so this is actually kind of good, that once they see what Jesus values, they align their heart. Now, on the surface, it just looks like they're fickle and they're just trying to, to you know, they're just fair-weather friends. But if we can actually maybe go and give them the benefit of the doubt, Maybe in that moment they're realizing, oh, the Lord's not bothered by this guy. The Lord's going to help this guy. And maybe it's a learning moment. See, friends, we as believers need to recognize what Jesus values, and then we immediately need to value that. What Jesus honors and dignifies, and we need to honor and dignify that. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. Jesus loves, values, honors, and dignifies all human beings who are made in the image of God. It doesn't mean that everybody goes to heaven. It doesn't mean that every, he likes everything everybody does. But I want to tell you this. The Lord values human life. Not just the ones that look like you. Not just the ones that believe like you. Not just the ones that think like me. Not the ones who know how to stay in step with us in our little religious slice of the pie. But I'm talking about the reality that Jesus, Bartimaeus didn't fit in with anybody. Nobody was going to help him. And, but he cried out and he cried out and he cried out and he gave voice to his desperation. And there was something, I mean, Jesus is moving in a crowd and there was something that as he's just trucking along, everybody trucking along, and then all of a sudden he stops. Have you ever been walking with somebody? You're walking alongside of them and all of a sudden they stop and you didn't realize it. And you're like, oh, they've stopped. It's that moment. It's that he stopped, and everybody else stopped too. The Bible, the, the Greek says he stood still, so it indicates that he went from moving to boom, he threw on the brakes. Something in the desperate cry of Bartimaeus, who had no other options, when that expression was given to his desperation, it stopped the infinite Son of God in his tracks. It is a picture of what results can come from you and I if we will allow ourselves to touch that true level of desperation, not seeking to bring anything to the table. That, that, that literally, I believe with all of my heart, I'll die believing this, that God works in every single believer's life 
to bring them to a place where they can lean on nothing and nobody. And it's not because he's mean, it's actually because he's good. It's not because it's cruel, it's actually because he's kind. Because he knows that the greatest moments in our lives is, are those moments where we, we reach the absolute end of ourselves and our ability to lean on anything else, and we find ourselves with no other recourse except our voice. And that voice, instead of being desperate inwardly, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about turning your desperation inward where you say, oh, and the answer is not in me, all is lost, or, or even turning your desperation outward. This one won't help me, and that one won't help me, and she didn't help me, and he didn't help me, and, and then you get depressed because I'm talking about taking your desperation, not inward, not outward, but upward. So when you realize, oh, I'm not imagining things, there's no reasonable answer coming from the horizontal. I'm going to take my desperation and I'm going to direct it to the very throne room of God where there sits the same merciful Savior that helped blind Bartimaeus on the road to Jericho. And when we come to that place and you don't listen to the people around you, People are, people are so, in, I mean, they're sincere, but sometimes they're sincerely messed up. And, and they don't want you to reach your rock bottom desperate moment because they don't know what to do with messy people. And so they'll prop you up and, and, and they'll just try to cover you with a bunch of cliches and churchianity talk and, you know, they'll cite you five verses. It's the moment where they gave you another verse. It's like, you're not listening to me. You just gave me the fifth verse. Hand me your Bible for a second. Why, are you going to look up a sixth verse? No, I'm going to hit you on the head with your Bible. You're driving me nuts. Because sometimes we don't need our little marbled halls of theology to enter into the crucible with somebody. They need Jesus, and, and oftentimes, and parents hear me on this, we, we have to let our kids reach desperation. We can't always rescue our kids. I mean, as a parent, who doesn't want to rescue their kids? But sometimes that rescue only lifts them up a little higher that they're eventually going to have to crash back down from. And so we absolutely have to recognize that the Lord will allow us to come to the place intentionally where there is nothing anybody else can do. Why? Because it's in that moment, if you'll turn your, your desperation upward, you're going to learn the most, evalu most valuable life, lesson in your life up to that point. You say, well, Jeff, you mean I've got to go through that? Yeah, you've got to go through that. If, if you want to bring glory to God and you want to know him intimately, Paul talked about, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, but what else did he say? The fellowship of his sufferings. And by the way, sufferings precede resurrection power. The cross came before the empty tomb. And yet we live in a generation where it's like empty tomb, empty tomb, empty tomb. And, we're, and I'm thinking vacant cross, vacant cross, vacant cross. We got to get on the cross. We gotta, Jesus said, if you don't carry your cross and come after me, you can't be my disciple. And so we're, we're living in a generation, I've said this for years, that say, hey, I'm cool with carrying the cross, but I want to I want, I want fabricate it. Um, I want six inches of foam. I want it to be a comfortable cross. I want it to be the exact height where it's not too heavy, not too pain, no splinters. I, I want a cushioned cross. And the Lord says, no. Now, if you want to follow me, you're going to take the cross that I lay upon you, and you're going to follow me daily, and you're going to become like me. So these are the... By the way, I'll just say this, and I'm, I'm just saying it because I think it's the truth. I'm not trying to reflect attention you don't hear this preaching in many places 
You don't. It's not because I'm super special. It's just that so many people have abandoned the truth of the Scripture in order to make people feel great about themselves. And, and, and we wonder, why do we have a generation of fruitless, non-sacrificial Christians roaming churches, giving each other holy high fives? The reality is, is I want to be like Jesus. You're saved. You want to be like Jesus. But none of us can be like Jesus apart from coming to these desperation moments. <laughs> you know, you might say, well, Jeff, I don't want to go through one of those. Like, well, you won't go through just one. <laughs> you go through the first one and you make it. He's going to say, that a girl. I'm going to take you, my daughter, a little further and up there away. I'm going to walk with you and you're going to reach another level of desperation. But in that second level of desperation, there's going to be a second level of wisdom, breakthrough and intimacy with me that you could not have had if you had just stopped at the first. And it just doesn't end. It just doesn't end. You say, well, man, that, that sounds really terrible. Well, don't forget the back of the story. The back of the story is called paradise. It's called perfection. It's called eternal deliverance. It's called victory. It's called resurrection. It's called rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. So the back of the story justifies the, the difficult chapters in the middle of the story. So we'll go a little bit further. I think I'm out of time probably anyway, but that's never stopped me. Here we go. So let, let's just go down into verses 50 through 52. I've only got three verses left. And, and let's rejoice with Brother Bart. Here we go. When desperation turns to delight. So the last thing we saw was Jesus saying to him, they said, he said to the people, call him. And so they're saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you. So what, what, what happens next? Well, the possibility motivated him. The Bible describes that moment. And this really happened, by the way. This actually happened. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a fable. This really happened. Bartimaeus, throwing off his cloak, sprang up and came to Jesus. I mean, he's still blind, by the way. He didn't care. He's like, the master has invited me. I don't know how I'm going to find him, but I will find him. And he springs up and he throws away his tunic and he is pressing towards Jesus. It's highly likely that at that point, some of these kind people whose hearts had been tenderized a little bit, usher him in to the presence of Jesus. Jesus, who's still standing still waiting that appointment. He's waiting on Bartimaeus. He's let Bartimaeus reach the end of Bartimaeus. But when Bartimaeus reached the end of Bartimaeus, Jesus was standing right there for him. It's the same thing he's doing with you. Every time. He will wait. And as we reach the end of ourselves more than once in successive seasons, it just happens to the Christian that has made up his or her mind that they're going to live for the glory of Jesus. He waits on you. So this is why it requires faith, because when you're reaching the end of yourself, the last thing, thing you think is that he's nearby. You're like, Barnabas, you can't see him. You, you don't know exactly where he is. But notice how he just stood there and he made sure Bartimaeus found that contact with him. That's the same thing he's doing in your lives. And so he's throwing off his cloak. That's faith. He springs up. That's exercising his will. You, when, when you're in your hour of desperation, you still have some responsibility. And then he obeyed. I preached on that last, last time. He, he just comes to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, call him to come to me. And so he did so. So look in verse number 51, because it's a real short conversation. The Savior addressed him. 
I love this. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, let's just walk through that. Jesus knows what he needs. Jesus knows exactly what Bartimaeus needs. He doesn't know it because he's divine and omniscient. He's looking at a blind man. He, he knows what Bartimaeus needs. But it's not enough for Jesus to know what Bartimaeus needs. He wants Bartimaeus to connect fully with what he needs by expressing it. Bartimaeus needs to verbalize his need to Jesus in that moment of desperation. And Bartimaeus is asked by the Son of God, what can I do for you? If you have time later, travel back up in the same chapter to verse number 37, because there's two other guys that Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? You know who those guys were? The sons of thunder, James and John. Do you remember what they asked for? They asked for glory. They asked for glory. James and John, the disciples, close to the Lord. Jesus asked them 20, 20 verses earlier, 15 verses earlier. He asked them the same question. What do you want me to do for you? And I said, uh, we'd like the chief seats in the kingdom. One will have the left hand, one will have the right hand. They wanted glory. Let me tell you a reason why, why they wanted glory for themselves. They didn't know desperation yet. They didn't, or they would. They would learn desperation, but they didn't know it at that point. They had no concept of what it meant to be desperate, so they asked for glory for themselves. Bartimaeus didn't ask for glory. He asked for the, the, the most elementary yet the most pressing need in his desperate life. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I'm going to ask you a question What's your answer to that when Jesus asks you? I think he asks that, us that all the time. I literally believe, I'm believing this more and more in, in this season in my life, that he's actually waiting on us. We think we're always waiting on him. I'll challenge that a little bit. I actually think he's waiting on us for two primary things. One, to become really desperate about the most important thing, and two, to get brutally honest with them about it. And so as Bartimaeus is standing there, the need overwhelmed him. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Master, Teacher, let me recover my sight. I just want to see he didn't ask for glory. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for a temporary fix to a, a physically permanent problem. He said, and it seems to be that once upon a time he must have seen, he's talking about recovering his sight. It, it would, if, if, if I can unpack it this way, it almost seems like he's saying, get me back what I lost. That's the case if he had ever seen before. If he had never seen before, he's saying, give me something I've never experienced. Either way, it involved the biggest problem in his life. And I love the fact that he wasn't bashful. Do you think he had prayed for healing before? Sure he had. Sure he had. He had never gotten it, but he didn't stop wanting it. And he didn't fear another denial to the point where he just didn't ask anymore. You've got to be tenacious with this. May your opposition simply be the wind in your sails, wind in the sails of your persistence. Just when you're opposed inwardly, outwardly, don't quit. 
Press in, press in, press in. And so he says, I want my eyes back. And so the breakthrough, breakthrough found him. Verse 52. And Jesus said to him, watch this, the only command he gives him, go your way. He asked him a question, gave him a command, and then made an indicative statement. He said, here's, here's the command, go your way. Your faith, and the Greek word is sozo, it, it literally means saved. Your faith has saved you. It has made you sound. It has a physical application here. And I also believe it has a spiritual application. And because the Bible, it, clearly it's physical. It says immediately he recovered his sight. Okay, stop. This is where you've got to, you can't just say, oh, awesome Bible story. No, wait a minute. Bartimaeus is a real guy who had been living in darkness, who had been begging by the roadside, who was helpless, had no hope whatsoever humanly. His life was a mess. He didn't have anybody for him. There was nobody in that crowd initially. Matter of fact, they were opposing him. They were getting in the way of him and his breakthrough. And then the master stops in his tracks because he hears the desperate cry of some pitiful beggar. And he says, bring him to me. And he gets there and he asks him one question. He's like, what do you want? And the guy answers it. Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And Jesus says, go on. Gave him the command before he told him what had happened. Go on, you see. And immediately, as soon as the words came out of the... the Jesus spoke life to those darkened eyes. Amen. He spoke life to those eyes. And as soon as he... And, and the first thing that Bartimaeus sees is the face of the one that healed him. And he sees Jesus. I don't know. Maybe we're just too familiar with our Bible. Or maybe we've forgotten what it's like when he opened our spiritual eyes and we saw for the first time. Maybe we're, we're too distracted to tap into the compassion that's needed for the helpless and the forgotten and the sidelined. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm processing a little bit while I preach. All I know is that this should stir us immensely to think that the guy's life got changed and all he had to do was be brutally honest about how impossible his situation is and, and just verbalize that to Jesus and, and say, I need this from you. I need it from you. And so where Jesus' offer met Bartimaeus' faith, a miracle happened. And so the very last thing, and I'll be done. So the breakthrough found them after the need overwhelmed them because the Savior addressed him as that possibility motivated him. But in the end, the master owned him. What was the command that Jesus gave to Bartimaeus? Go your way. Look at the end of verse number 52. And Bartimaeus followed him on the way. Bartimaeus was dismissed. He can go do whatever he wants. He can go live his life. And Bartimaeus realizes what I hope we're all realizing. Where are you going, Lord? My way, uh, I don't really have a way anymore. I, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. Where are you going? And the Bible indicates that Bartimaeus becomes a disciple. He follows Jesus in the way. That's why I believe that when Jesus said, he employed that Greek word sozo, that's, that's what the scriptures say, that it wasn't just a physical healing. I just think Bartimaeus' heart shifted. And he, he was not only given sight, he was given salvation because his, his heart wanted to be with the one who had healed him and physically touched him. And so that's, uh, it's just a, a picture of the Christian journey. 
It's a scary thing for the Son of God who loves us unconditionally as his children to look at us and say, you get to pick your way. Go your way. Hey, I've saved you. I've healed you. I called you. I loved you. I heard your cry. I've done, I've done the great work of bringing spiritual sight to your dead spiritual eyes, your blind spiritual eyes. I've made you to see. And child, I did that because I'm good and I love you. And I, I just, I can't help myself. I'm going to be good to you. Now, go your way. And right there is the test. It, that's our lives. What way do we go? Well, Jesus told me I could live my life. You can. But the expectation, he never forces it on you. That's a part of his love too. He never forces us to follow him. He doesn't take one chain off of us from our sin and then wrap another chain on us put us in a, a chained line behind him and shackles on us. Well, we're following Jesus. He actually says, go whatever way you want to go, but the understanding is, is that the only right direction is to go where he's going. And that's the joy of the life of the disciple. So I'm going to pray over us this evening as we dismiss, and I hope that you'll hold on to some part of this, whether it's an individual in your life that you wish, and I'm just saying it like this, would just shut up and leave you alone, like that crowd did Bartimaeus. Think a little more deeply about that person tonight. Or if you are Bartimaeus, and you're fighting with all your might not to reach that last thing of desperation, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to exhort you. You just need to, to let the brokenness come. You just need to... It sounds terrible because it, it's just not in us. If it needs to fall apart, it needs to fall apart, but he'll be there when it does. And when you reach that place, the lowest man in the lowest city on earth, and he's the one that day, they got more than everybody else, but not until he reached that desperation. That was what gained him an audience face-to-face -face with the Son of God who opened his eyes.